welcome back. Let's Get Physical Therapy is an educational podcast brought to you by MedStar Health and hosted by me, physical therapist Becca Schumer. I will be sharing the mic with tons of healthcare professionals with the goal of educating and inspiring fellow PTs and future PTs. We hope you find this both informative and inspirational, ultimately optimizing how we treat our patients and grow as professionals. Please enjoy today's episode. Today, we're going to continue our conversation about tennis. So we've got Dr. Glazer on the podcast today. He's the team physician for the City Open Tennis Tournament, which is where he was at the time of this recording. He's also the head team physician for Old Glory Professional Rugby Team and Catholic University Athletics. His prior experience includes team physician for GC United and former assistant team physician for the Philadelphia Phillies. He is board eligible in internal medicine and a member of the American College of Physicians, the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine, and the American Osteopathic Association. He treats a wide variety of sports-related injuries, including concussions, overuse injuries, and degenerative diseases, and non-op orthopedic injuries. I am excited to host Dr. Glaser today to talk about tennis. He loves tennis, loves talking about tennis, and tennis injuries. So let's listen in and see what he has to share with us today. Dr. Glaser, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. I can't complain. That's great. You are currently at the City Open right now. Is that right? Yes, correct. I'm right now sitting in players dining um, and to do this. Sweet. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to record this podcast with me. And we always like to start with hearing your story. How did you get into the field? Um, the the I, I grew up playing tennis, so I always had passion for tennis. And then um, over the years, I just sparked an interest in medicine. Um, then I uh, combined the two of playing tennis uh, in college and then also um, going to medical school and then ultimately ending in sports medicine just because of the, the passion for sports. Um, and then this is particular the, the highlight of my, my year, so to speak, covering the City Open, just because it combines the two things that I really love, medicine and uh, tennis. Love it. Can you take us through what a typical day at the City Open looks like for you? Uh, yes, we usually have to get here about an hour before play starts. So usually we get here around 11 o'clock in the morning and then we go home whenever play is done. Uh, so it, it depends. The earliest we've gotten out was on an easy day without rain or any delays. We got up, out by six, so we're at home for dinner. Uh, but usually we don't get home till midnight or even later, um, especially if there's a rain delay. The latest we've come home was 3.30 in the morning. Are you taking care of the players, bystanders, all the above? Um, no, we are only, me and one of my colleagues, Dr. Duogi, um, are only taking care of the players. Um, so we, we are get to be the cool kids running out on the court if they need us to uh, put the players back together and make sure that they continue to play. Have you seen anything interesting so far? Um, just the usual um, normal tennis injuries, a little bit of heat issues and a little bit of overuse essentially just because you are playing tennis year round um, but other than that nothing too crazy or exciting gotcha that's a nice segue into the topic today we're going to talk all about tennis and tennis injuries can you tell us a few of the more common tennis injuries that you see in your clinic and then we'll kind of dive into treatment of that etc yes so um, obviously as a just alluded to the the overuse injuries are the most common ones and then with tennis being overhead sport obviously we're looking at uh, shoulder uh, issues rotator cuff issues 
um, tendonitis of the elbow, um, and then uh, wrist injuries, moving in the lower extremity, obviously knee, just because playing on, on a hardcore surface is not the most um, forgiving surface. And then obviously just like in an ankle, a rolled ankle, just you see with any other sport as well. And you had mentioned you started going to talk about heat illness a little bit. What does that look like acutely? Say someone goes down at City Open today, like what, what kind of, what are you doing to take care uh, of them? Well, heat illness, the, the first thing is to, to identify risk factors that can lead to heat illness. Um, obviously, there are factors you cannot influence, which is the weather. So high temperature with high humidity uh, always um, is the first strike, so to speak, in, on a setup for heat illness. And then just being out in the heat um, all the time and then possibly with a, with a suboptimal conditioning level and you can easily end up with heat illness, but also professional athletes who are out here all the time and end up with it as well. And so just knowing the setup for it and kind of being on the lookout, how do we recognize it? Uh, when you all of a sudden just feel really lethargic, tired, and you just not cannot make sense of, of anything, we're just a little bit confused, not just not as crisp as usual. Those are usually the the signs when here the umpires call the, the trainers to the court and call the doctors to the court. And then we take a look at vital signs, blood pressure, heart rate, um, breathing, and to guide us towards to making a diagnosis of heat illness. The, ultimately, the only way to diagnose the heat illness is doing a core temperature, uh, which unfortunately is the most unpleasant process uh, where we have to take a rectal temperature to properly assess to indeed, yes, it is uh, heat illness. And then the treatment for it is fairly easy where we obviously remove the player from the environment and then we uh, put them in a ice bath. So the core temperature drops to safe level. And then um, depending which facility we're at, oftentimes then after the core temperature is cooled, um, athletes, potentially transported to the hospital for further evaluation. Um, obviously, it's always different between the, the levels. If you're at a youth tournament, definitely if you identify heat illness, the right thing to do is call 911 right away. So there is an ambulance there, but at the same time, also remove the athlete from the heat. And if you have ice bags, put them in ice bags and um, yeah, submerge them in ice to, to help or start the cooling process. Pull them down as fast as possible. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we had Dr. Sedgley on who talked a little, we covered running medicine. He was talking about core temperature above 104, I believe he said. Yes. Is that right? Correct. Got it. All right. So let's go. I know I just kind of meandering along this path of tennis injuries. Let's go back to the clinic and talk about some orthopedic issues. So can you tell me a little more about like tennis elbow? That's a big thing that we see. What is tennis elbow? How do you diagnose it? Are you using imaging ultrasound? Tennis elbow is probably one of the most common tennis injuries. Um, the, the fancy term for it is lateral epicondylitis. And we just dubbed it also tennis elbow because tennis players are very frequent getting it. But we also see it in a non-athletic population or non-tennis player population. So painting oftentimes can cause it, working with a chainsaw can cause it. So there are a lot of other reasons. 
oftentimes patients look at me like, but I don't play tennis. But yes, it is just called tennis elbow. What it is is an injury to the um, outside part of the elbow. So this portion right here of the elbow um, and a inflammation of the tendons um, in the elbow. With tennis players, we see it oftentimes with hitting backhands um, the wrong way. And then particularly for tennis players, the couple things that set you up for it or you put you at higher risk and um, playing with the wrong tension on your racket, a racket that is too heavy or playing with balls, especially in the um, junior tournaments that are too heavy for you. And that can all set you up. And then obviously just because it is a tendonitis, so it's an overuse injury. So um, just playing too much with, without um, proper uh, rest and, and treatment sets you up for it. I am not a big tennis player. I don't treat a lot of tennis players. So there's different weighted balls. I didn't know that. Yes. So the, the juniors there usually are red and yellow. Then there are orange and yellow. Then they have a green dot on it. And then um, it goes to the normal weighted balls. But even the, the normal regulation balls, some are heavier than others. And that's why um, it, it is nice for, for players to get early on site to kind of get used to the um, uh, weight of the ball at the particular um, tennis ball. That's so interesting. Didn't know that. Okay, so patients in your clinic are complaining of lateral elbow pain. How are you? I know obviously subjective tells you a ton, but right. are you using any imaging, any ultrasound to diagnose this? Uh, yes, I usually do take a look with the ultrasound at the elbow just to see to confirm the diagnosis, um, even though you don't have to, but it also gives us an idea how severe it is and kind of tailored how aggressive we have to be with the treatment. If we just start you you or the athlete uh, on a home exercise program um, or send them to physical therapy, anti-inflammatories, um, usually injections, I don't necessarily do them on the first visit. I would like to do some physical therapy first, just because studies have shown that at the end of the day, um, the injections are not better than physical therapy at three and six months out. So that's why um, rehabbing it is the right way to go. Sometimes you have refractory cases, which then would require um, different types of injections. Yeah, uh, you kind of answered my next question. I was going to ask you, what kind of injections are you speaking of? Cortisone, PRP? So yeah, injections, they come in, in two flavors. Cortisone injection is one um, it's a strong anti-inflammatory, helps decrease inflammation. Sometimes, it, in some studies, it shows that the quality of the tissue degrades a little bit. Um, I haven't seen it clinically, but that is the, the risk of the cortisone. Then the next option would be a PRP injection or a blood injection, which um, helps further decrease inflammation and provides a, an environment for the tendon and the body to heal itself. Uh, which is nice. And then there are other options too, especially in the physical therapy around with dry needling um, or then in the office also with prolotherapy, mm -hmm. where we really um, aggravate the tendon further to promote healing. I know it's counterintuitive, but it, it looks quite nicely. When would you use the PRP? Like, would that be a first go? Like, how far along in their injury no, are they? Usually, if they're more refractory, where we tried everything else along the lines of physical therapy, exercises, home, oral anti-inflammatories, maybe even topical anti-inflammatories, and we've tried a steroid injection before, so corticosteroid injection, and 
And if all that hasn't helped, then I usually um, offer the, the PRP injection as, as a next step. Can you tell me a little bit more about the cortisone injections? And not necessarily with the, the elbow, but you know, I've heard different doctors say there's a limit on how often you can do them. You talked a little bit about degrading the tendon potentially. Uh, I know if you have a injection, oftentimes if you need a surgery, then they like to wait a little while. Can you tell me about the science of cortisone injections? Yes. So with cortisone, usually you can safely repeat them every three to four months. Um, and that's kind of the, the guidance that, that I stick to. Why not sooner? Because it was said it helps. No, it doesn't help. <laughs> it degrades the, the tendon quality a little bit, which potentially sets you up for, for more trouble down the road. And um, that's why the, the safety mechanism, how many of those, uh, there's really not an exact number. I think it varies from clinician to clinician. Usually I limit it to two cortisone injections before we move to something else. Um, one potentially as a blind injection, um, meaning I just stick the needle on in the point that hurts. And then the second one with an ultrasound as a guided injection to specifically target where the damage in the tendon is. Um, and that's usually the, the amount of quantities that I use for um, steroid injections. Got it. I think we don't hear about prolotherapy as often as other injections. What exactly are you injecting and you're doing it guided by ultrasound, right? Uh, yes, prolotherapy is also um, a guided injection. And then what it is essentially is a, a glucose solution that gets injected in the, in the tendon. And glucose really aggravates the, the healing cascade in, in the tendon. And by doing so, and um, hopefully lead to, to adequate healing of the, the injured tendon. Yeah, that makes sense. And insurance-wise, most of those are covered. PRP is not, is that right? Correct. Yeah. PRP is not covered, which unfortunately is frustrating at times because it works quite nicely, especially with tendon overuse injuries. Um, talking with insurance, yes, there is sometimes a little bit of a way with, with folks with health savings accounts or flex spending accounts, because obviously that expense would be covered um, that way. Uh, but yeah, that is the, the big drawback to to PRP injections. And I oftentimes tell my patients to to call different doctors and see how much they charge for them because prices vary. Um, even though the technology is the same in every office, um, but just the injection is any different. So that's why I always ask to call around. So you go up the chain to the shoulder. Are you using the same kind of methodology to treat that? And when would you get, are you taking an x-ray to look at bony abnormalities? And then when would you get an MRI? Um, yeah, so bony um, abnormalities and x-ray first to kind of see if it's potentially arthritis and, or any other weird um, bony abnormalities. And then oftentimes also in, in the office an ultrasound of the, the rotator cuff to, to better understand the pathology. Um, MRI most certainly provides a lot of information. Some of it, unfortunately, is uh, governed by insurance companies as well, where they, in order to get an MRI or approve an MRI, you have to check certain boxes with the insurance company. Frustrating and sometimes delays things a little bit, but the nature of the beast. Um, 
usually I'm not surprised with folks over the age of 40 that there is probably just wear and tear in a normal 40-year-old, that there is some rotator cuff pathology. And then, of course, the, the tricky thing is always like reading the report saying, oh, there's a tear, tear equals surgery. Not necessarily the case, especially if it's more the the uh, old people tear and that I put myself in the same category. So that was a nice response because I was just about to ask you about age of the athletes and does age dictate somewhat of what you're going to see in your clinic with regards yeah. to injuries in tennis? Yes, absolutely. Like the the more seasoned folks, meaning the ones over 40 and with rotator cuff issues and oftentimes get treated conservatively with physical therapy, injection therapies. Um, and then if all that doesn't help, then um, we send them off to surgery. Obviously, there, there are exceptions to the rule where we are really worried about the, the grade of the rotator cuff tear. The more serious grades, they skip all that and go straight to my surgical colleague. Um, but the, the smaller ones um, referred to as the degenerative tears, meaning the ones that happen over time and wear and tear, um, they usually do well with conservative treatment. Okay. Can we take it down the chain now oh and go All to okay. hit knee, like ankle stuff? What kinds of lower leg or lower extremity pathologies are you seeing? And with tennis, speaking of, of the joint itself um, and aging a little bit too, oftentimes we see labral tears in athletes just as a normal adaptation to the sport. And when we get an MRI, is a labral tear. And then the question is to, to sort out if the pain is coming from the labrum, which is a little piece of cartilage in the hip or from something else um, and then obviously with with knees really anything goes with with tennis it is not the, the typical sport for torn acls but it can happen and it actually happened to one of my college teammates and made a wrong step and popped her acl that's so far the only acl tear that i've seen is playing tennis but it can happen um, meniscal tears because of the foot is planted and you're twisting on your knee and that is usually a nice mechanism of injury for for meniscal tears also not that frequent but if if the stars align the wrong way then absolutely it can happen and probably the most common one um in playing tennis is ankle sprains mm -hmm. just because the the foot gets caught on the surface and we roll it um particularly on clay because we're doing a lot of sliding and then if if we come to an abrupt stop while sliding then we roll the ankle hard courts there's also a bigger advent of sliding nowadays so you can also see the hard court if it happens in hard court it's usually more extensive just because of the the forces transmitted through the leg on a hard court that was a lengthy list. I feel like we could go through the same lineup of imaging, injections, kind of pretty similar in the lower extremity yeah. as it is the upper extremity. What about spine? You know, I talked to Lance. We talked a little bit about more back injuries happening, especially kind of liking it, likening it to lacrosse injuries and overuse and that twisting and getting the stress reaction. Are you seeing any of those, especially the younger population who aren't super strong yet and they're kind of overdoing yeah. it? Yes, um, that is definitely always a concern with, with tennis players because you have not only the, the twisting motion on the ground strokes between forehand and backhand, but also the, the overhead motion of a serve. Um, and then with the different service motion, sometimes the ball toss varies a little bit. 
um, and then all of a sudden you find yourself um, overextending your back frequently, and that can lead to stress injuries in the back, um, which you definitely have to be careful about because they can lead to longer-term complications for the athlete. And how soon are you going to pull the trigger to get an MRI of that? Uh, usually rather quickly because um, if indeed there's a stress injury in the in the spine, if you want to restrict them as quickly as possible to avoid any further injury. So usually on spines, I'm, I'm very aggressive to get it imaged right away. Mm-hmm. Any other things with regards to the injuries, common injuries you see? Any other interesting things that you're seeing in the clinic or doing in the clinic? Um, no, that that is usually the the bread and butter when you talk about um tennis injuries, especially in in the young adolescent or youth. It's uh, the important thing to to talk about youth or early youth specialization, where early on you just get stuck playing tennis, where you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, and then so even at a young age you end up with injuries that usually you see much later in life because you're just doing always the same thing. And then also a lot of studies have shown that kids just burn out from playing tennis because you play year round, you have practice every other day, then competition on the weekends. And then by the age of 18, you retire from the sport. And that is sad because it is a great sport. And um, to put a plug in for tennis, it's the only sport that has shown to increase uh longevity another you're just teaching me all sorts of things today i I try i try so yes that's why we want to keep people playing tennis just so you you can have fun at an old age and and get to live an old age i i think that i need to do an episode just on that topic alone because we can go all down the rabbit hole on that one yes absolutely i I just always want to put it out there Mm -hmm. when you're looking at all the grades tennis players of this age, uh, Rafael Nadal, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, all of them are well-rounded athletes in other sports as well. Um, so there is time to just specialize into one sport. As a kid, just have time, incorporate free play where you just kick the ball around in the backyard and not just always have a tennis racket in game. Yeah, it, it's so that concept is so hard though when you're getting pressure for scholarships yes. and club teams and there's so much money involved. It's it's really sad. I would yes. I would hate to see someone burn out and then not enjoy movement and exercise right. later in life and all the sequelae that happens with that when you're not engaging in, in movement and exercise for health issues. Very true. All right, so <laughs> back to sadness for a second. Uh, we had talked about uh, shoe wear. Can you tell me a little about the importance of proper shoe wear in, in tennis? Well cushioned and well supportive. Um, the shoes, the the sole of the shoe are different for the different surfaces. Um, so between clay, hardcore, and grass uh, to adjust for the different natures of the surfaces. And then playing with the wrong shoe on the wrong surface uh, potentially sets you up for more ankle issues and more wear and tear of your joints um, as well. Um, so that is the, the importance of, of shoe wear. Obviously, on hardcore, shoes wear out quicker. And if they lose their integrity, um, just give them to your dog to chew on and then just uh, invest into a new pair of shoes. Clay also very hard on it just because you have a higher friction coefficient on it. So once the integrity of the shoe starts breaking down or the profile starts wearing down, I always recommend changing them. Uh, 
unfortunately for tennis, we don't have a specific number like for running where every X amount of miles and we have to change them. It's more the kind of like you look at them as like, am I losing traction with them? And it's usually the time to retire the shoe. Any other equipment recommendations? You talked about the weight of the tennis racket, the tension of the tennis racket, the weight of the ball. Any other equipment things, hacks that are helpful? Like I know you've seen the elbow braces, the wrist yes. splints, all so, that stuff. Obviously, uh, the size of the racket is important that you play with the appropriate configuration for your age and then um, the weight of the racket too, because there are big variations in the weights and um, some of the rackets just may not be right for you because they're too heavy, which then leads to uh, wrists, elbow and shoulder problems, which we want to avoid. And then also finding the right string tension, because obviously, as we alluded to earlier, it can lead to trouble. And then also the the correct string for you, because some string, strings are more um, flexible and others are more stiff. And then usually younger players probably have more issues with stiff strings just because more forces are transmitted to the racket and arm. So that is just more the softer strings to to allow for a little bit more pushing. People get fitted for tennis rackets like they get fitted for shoes and other sports or other equipment. They go to appropriate place to get it. Yes. And oftentimes uh, your coach is probably the best resource for it. And to see if it's like a uh, a racket that is more um, head heavy versus more more weight in the grip versus a neutral balance. And th that's kind of to look for. And also depends on the style of play a little bit. But oftentimes I would defer that those recommendations to local club pro or coach to kind of guide a little bit more which racket would fit you best. We talked a ton about injuries today, which has been great. What about the mental piece? Are you ever seeing athletes that struggle with that? And what do you do in that case? Um, mental piece is definitely uh, difficult, especially actually at all levels of play. Um, there are different stressors at, at every level. Um, that is something to identify. And then I usually don't deal with the mental health aspect as much. I usually just help identify it and then make the necessary referral um, if needed. Um, when it talks about not just mental health, but also sports performance, um, performance anxiety and, and all that kind of stuff to help identify it and then get it addressed. Awesome. Dr. Glaser, is there anything that we haven't covered with regards to tennis medicine that you would like to chat about while I've got you? Uh, no, I think we, we covered my my whole fountain of knowledge. So uh, <laughs> you're empty. I emptied you out. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Awesome. We like to end our episodes with a favorite quote. What is a quote that moves you, drives you and inspires you? Um, huh, you got me on that one. I don't have a favorite quote it's just go playing no. tennis go out there have fun and enjoy enjoy the game love it that's a great that's a great message dr Glaser, where can people find you where are you treating patients i'm seeing patients uh, in three locations one is in uh the medstar mitchellville location in mitchellville maryland and then downtown dc at the navy yard and at the medstar lafayette center thank you so much for coming on today i appreciate it you're welcome anytime Thanks for listening to the Let's Get Physical Therapy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at MedStarHealthPT. 
If you've enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review so we can reach more listeners just like you. As always, we appreciate your time and hope you join us for our next episode.